life of David, and we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. Let me give you just a few words of introduction to where we're going today. Claire and I, over the past uh, five months, six months, have been looking for a new car, a car to replace our car. Um, literally since Thanksgiving. We were heading to my parents' house at Thanksgiving and had some car issues and determined, you know what, maybe it's about time. So um, we started hunting at Thanksgiving 2017. <laughs> and um, I am uh, pretty tenacious when it comes to what I'm going to pay and what I'm going to get. And so we are still looking. Anyhow, I found a car. I'm like literally looking every day. It's crazy. Looking online, looking online. I found one. But anyhow, so I found one about three weeks ago in Augusta. And it had the mileage I wanted. It looked pretty good from the pictures. Um, it was the right year. It was what we wanted. And so the price was right. So we, uh, I said, Claire, let's get in the car. Let's head to Augusta. Now, before I did this, there were some pictures that were posted online, but not quite enough. And so I called the guy. It was a dealership in Augusta. And I said, can you please take a few more pictures of these specific spots? Because I know this vehicle and this can be some of the things that we might run into. And he says, absolutely. Uh, and so he took a picture of this car and everything looked pretty good from the pictures that he sent me. And I asked him a lot of questions, prep questions, like I want to make sure that the condition looks like this, that it's going to be the certain way. Absolutely, it's going to be all that. So we drive to Augusta. And uh, we get down there, and I open up the driver's side door, and it was everything not that I was looking for. <laughs> Condition was terrible, and I was like, well, no wonder it's priced like this. And I didn't, we test drove it just to be nice, and um, I didn't get into it with the guy, but I'm like, I drove four hours and 45 minutes to get here, you said. So, I mean, really, the guy misrepresented what he had for sale. No surprise. Um, and so, anyhow, Today, this is kind of what we're talking about, is this idea of it seems like in our culture today that in order to get ahead, that in order to succeed, that in order to get where it is that you think that you need to get, sometimes people think they need to cut corners, they need to uh, misrepresent the truth or give their version of the truth. And so this is kind of what we want to look at today in the life of David. We see him do this himself, 1 Samuel chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, let's flip over there. Just a little bit of quick background. Remember, David is on, I say Samuel, David is on the run from King Saul. Saul is after him trying to get David. And so David is, uh, he and Saul have finally come to a terminal in their relationship. And so David is on the run from him. So here's the beginning of David being on the run from King Saul. If you would, let's stand to our feet. 1 Samuel chapter 21, stand for the reading of God's word. And we're going to begin at verse 2 through 5. 1 Samuel chapter 21, beginning at verse 2. Here we go. And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one, something like that. Yeah, there you go. Which matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women, verse 5, And David answered the priest, Truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? Okay, you may be seated. You're wondering to yourself, Gordon, how in the world did you get from a used car experience to that particular verse? Well, let's see. Let's walk through these verses together. We'll start back at verse 1. It says there that David went to Nob. Now, Nob is a little city 
little small town south of Jerusalem. Archaeologists don't know exactly where it is. It's kind of one of two sites. It's a little bit of a toss-up, but it's just a couple miles south of Jerusalem. And, and it says there that he met Ahimelech the priest. Now, Ahimelech was a priest serving at the tabernacle. The tabernacle was not in Jerusalem. Remember, David moved the tabernacle to Jerusalem. At this point in Israel's history, it was at a little town called Nob. Before that, it was at a little town called Shiloh. They moved it to Nob. David would later move it to Jerusalem. But that's where the tabernacle is, and that's why David runs into this priest there at Nob. So he's left um, Saul's presence. He's come to where the tabernacle is, and he comes, we learn here, in search of some food. Um, let's keep reading. It says, uh, verse 2, So David explains that the king has charged me with a matter that is a secret mission and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I have sent you. So this priest has just asked David there in verse 1, Why are you here by yourself? Where's all your guards, David? You're a general in the, soldier, in the king's army. You're the son-in-law of the king. Where is your secret service detail, David? Why are you walking around by yourself? That seems really strange. And so David's response there in verse 2 is, Hey, look, the reason why I'm here by myself is because I'm on a secret mission. And the uh, king has sent me on this, and you're not to tell anybody about what it is. We've got to keep this thing on the DL. Uh, mum's the word. And so this is a keep it very quiet, hush-hush stuff. And so the point is that David's on the run from Saul. He comes to Ahimelech. Ahimelech has no idea that he and David have, that David and Saul have had this falling out. And so he tells him, hey, look, I'm on a secret mission. That's why I'm here. You say, Gordon, didn't David just lie to the priest? Absolutely he did. David just lied to the priest in a certain situation when he felt scared, when he felt like his life was on the line. You say, well, why did he do that? Again, because he felt like if I tell Ahimelech why I'm here, that I'm on the run from, the, from, the, from Saul, then he's going to report back to Saul where I'm at, and then Saul's going to be able to track me down, and I'm going to be, you know, the end of me. Um, now, it doesn't stop there. David doesn't just stop lying here in this little scenario. He can, goes on to say that, hey, look, do you have any bread to eat? Do you have any food? And Himelech says, yeah, I've got some food out in the, ta in the tabernacle that we use as an offering to the Lord. Uh, we put that out there every Sabbath, and it's the bread that we used last week because we leave it out there, and then we come and bring some fresh bread in. He says, I could give you some of the old bread from the, from the holy place. And David says, yes, that'd be fine. I'd be glad to do that. He says, make sure you give me enough to feed all of my men. Make sure you give me enough to feed all my guys. He goes, I thought you were by yourself. You don't, I don't see any of these guys. He says, well, I'm going to go meet them at such and such a place. Um, and so again, David's just stretching the truth here a little bit because he needs to fill his, his, uh, his saddlebags with some extra provisions because he's going to be out there on the run for a little while. Um, and so it says, skip on down to verse 10. So David just keeps on scheming. He keeps on lying. He keeps on conniving in order to preserve and protect his life. Remember, David's on the run. It reads in verse 10, And David rose and fled that day from Saul, and he went from Achish, or went to Achish, the, uh, where the king of Gath was. Now, think about this for just a second. Achish, I don't know if you're not rare of this or not, but this is the hometown of the giant Goliath. Remember giant Goliath that David had gone out and fought there on the field and had, had thrown the, or the slingshot and uh, had hit Goliath and then chopped his head off. And so this is the hometown of Goliath. So he's gone to the Philistine territory, to the hometown of Goliath, to hide out. So he's thinking to himself, if I go where the Philistines are, Saul will never think to find me there. I mean, the last place on earth that Saul would look would be for me to go in, into the enemy camp. And so David's thinking to himself, that'd probably be a good place for me to go hide out. So that's what he does. But then David begins to have some misgivings about this decisions that he's made. He's like, well, what if somebody recognizes me? 
They saw me run out on the battlefield. I didn't have a helmet on, didn't have any, any stuff on. He said, what if people recognize me when I get out there onto this, uh, in, into this town? And so sure enough, David's fears have been realized. Look at verse 11. It says, the servants of King Achish said, is not this David? <laughs> He's been found out. Did the Israelites not sing to one another about this guy? Saul has struck down his thousands and David has struck down his tens of thousands. This is the guy. This is the very fellow that was out there on the battlefield that killed Goliath. And then they go and report this to King um, Achish uh, or King, uh, yeah, King Achish. Um, I had that flipped around. Gath was the place where he's from. Achis was his name. That's okay. It's been a long weekend. All right, verse 12. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish. He was much afraid of this king of the Philistine people or within this city-state. Um, and so he thinks to himself, what am I going to do? How can I get out of this uh, sticky wicket that, I, that I'm in? How can I get out of this spot that I'm in? And so he devises the plan. Look at verse 13. It says, so he changed his behavior and pretended to be insane. And he went around and he marked on the doors of the gate and he let spit run down out of his mouth onto his beard. And so David walks around acting like he's a nut, acting like he's lost his mind as a way to get people to say, well, I know that's David, but man, he didn't look like he's much of a threat right now. And so David just pretended to be a nut. And so that's what he did. And so, um, so the king, he ends up responding, I, what do I care about a guy who's a nut? Just leave him alone, let him be. And so that's how David escaped that through some using his wit, through scheming, through misrepresenting himself, through pretending uh, that he was insane. Um, David has no problem lying when his life is on the line. Do you see that? David has no problem lying when he's scared. David has no problem lying when he feels like there is an imminent threat. David feels like lying is okay. Now, I'd like to submit to you that David was not the only hero in the Bible that has done something like this. Think about um, Abraham. You remember Abraham. He um, was headed down into Egypt because there was a famine in the land of Canaan where he and his wife and his family were. And so he goes down into Egypt to get some provisions uh, to support them during this famine. And when he arrives at Egypt, he all of a sudden realizes, man, I've got this babe for a wife. And if we go down there to Egypt, all the men of Egypt are going to want to take her from me. They're going to want to marry her for themselves. And so to preserve my life, Abraham comes up with this scheme. Here it is, Genesis chapter 12, verse 22, or 12. Genesis chapter 12, verse 12. He says, when the Egyptians see you, talking to Sarah's wife, they will say to me, this is my wife. Then they'll kill me, but they will let you live. So here's what I want for you to do. Verse 13, say that you are my sister that it may go well with you. Now, I'm just saying, Sarah's 65 years old. I just thought I'd point that out, but nevertheless, you know, so anyhow, things maybe worked a little bit differently back in the day. But did I just get myself into trouble? All right, y'all can smack me in the back of the head on your way out of church later on today. But in fact, she goes along with this story. Can you believe this? Sarah goes along with this story and presents herself as Abram's sister. And then she ends up marrying or going and getting ready to be married to Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh starts having some bad dreams and realizes this is not, this is, she was not who, she, who I thought she was. She misrepresented herself, comes to Abraham, and says, why would you do that? Abraham says, well, I was scared for my life, right? And uh, so there we go. There's Father Abraham, this great man of God who does the same thing that David does when things get tight, when things get scary. Um, and so... Um, Another, for instance, how about Aaron, the brother of Moses? Moses is up on the mountain. He's getting the Ten Commandments. Aaron's down there. He's supposed to be overseeing and supervising what's happening amongst all the Israelite people. 
And so they make a golden calf while Moses is gone. Aaron, Mer, Moses comes back. He's got the Ten Commandments. You've seen the movie before. He throws the, the, the Ten Commandments down, busts the Ten Commandments. He's mad at the people for making this golden calf. He turns to Aaron, who's been in charge of all the people, and he says, Aaron, how could you let this happen? Now look at what Aaron comes up with. Look at Exodus chapter 32 and verse 20. He says that, you know, hey, look, Moses, these people, they wanted to make the calf. It wasn't me that wanted to make the calf. It was them that wanted to make the calf. So here's all I did. I just told them, take off your gold. And then I got a pot together, put some fire underneath it, let them melt the stuff. And then poof, out of that thing comes this golden calf. I don't know how it happened. I mean, it just happened. I mean, right. That's Aaron's excuse. Making stuff up. How about Peter? Three times he lied. I I think I've seen you before. No, I I don't know Jesus. No, 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 I'm sure I saw you walking around with him earlier today. I have no idea what you're talking about. No, I know you've been one of the guys that's been one of his followers. You've been walking around with him. You've, I've seen you with him. I know that you're that guy. Hey, look, I don't know the man, Peter, when he was scared, when his life was on the line. Lied. You see, these examples from Scripture demonstrate that we as people feel threatened, or that when we feel threatened, that our natural instinct is to resort to our own wits. And if that means lying, and if that means conniving, and if that means deceiving people, and if that means cheating people, then hey, you know what? You do what you got to do if you're going to survive. See, that's a primal instinct that is innate to all of us. And that's what's on display here with David. All right, well, that's as far as we want to go with our story for today. And so that means it's time for us to to ask the question that we ask every week around here, what difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I mean, that was so many years ago, and David, he was, his life was in th- under threat, and I mean, I'm not really feeling like that. I'm in that kind of a pinch or that kind of a spot. So, I mean, what does difference does any of this make to me? Well, let's talk about that. You know, there is a value system in our world today that says lying is inevitable. That it's just what you got to do if you're going to get ahead in this world. That if you want to get to a certain place, if you want to succeed in certain ways, that you just got to shave the corners, that you just got to present a version of the truth or a half-truth or some part of the truth, but maybe not all of it. And there's this value system in our world to say that, you know what, God, when he said, thou shalt not bear false witness, that he was really just given a suggestion. It wasn't a commandment. I mean, God's really not connected with the real world that we live in, and he's just a little bit out of touch with where I'm living. And so there's that value system that's out there in our world. So the question for us is, when we're on the hot seat, right, is it okay for us to lie? When we've got a couple standing in front of us that we're trying to sell this car to, is it okay to say most of what's right? Um, like when you were late for work again and you suddenly remember that nuclear waste spill that happened out on the highway on your way in. Or maybe when you were late getting your homework turned in again and you think, oh, I don't want to get another zero for my homework. And so I think the computer crashed on me last night. Yes, that's what happened. Uh, Like when your wife comes to you and says, how do I look in this dress? Boy, I'm stepping into it today, right? (laughs) Because here's my point. There are times in our life when we will be tempted to cut corners, to shave edges, to offer up a version of the truth, because there's places we got to get to, there's things we want to achieve. And so if we tell the truth, you know, probably not going to get there. So is this how God wants for us living? Well, let's take a look. David's going to actually answer this question for us. We're going to jump forward just a little bit into the text, 1 Samuel chapter 22, 
And uh, it's interesting that in here in 1 Samuel 22, we, look, we see that in all of David's scheming and all the things that he's done, right, and all the things that he said um, and all of his use of his wits, David never once stopped and asked God what he should do. Like as you're reading through this story from the time that he and Saul had this, this final falling out, David never stops and says, God, where should I go? God, what is your plan? God, what do you, how do you want me to handle this situation? Never once does he, do, does he do that. And so God needs to kind of intervene and whap David on the back of the head and say, come back too, buddy. Come ask me. I've got a plan. And so that's what God does. 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 5 says, Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. He was in Moab. He had been in hiding there. So that was another place that David went to. So don't remain in the stronghold there. Instead, here's what I want for you to do. Words from God. Depart and go back into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. You say, Gordon, why would God tell David to go back to Judah? Because in Judah is where Saul is. In Judah is where the people of Israel are. In Judah is where David is recognized. Seems like the worst place for David to go. I mean, he's going to go. People are going to see him. He's going to get spotted. He's going to come walking into town. Somebody's going to recognize him. And the next thing you know, here comes Saul and all of his soldiers. Seems like God's got a really bad plan that he's trying to put here on David. Well, see, God needed to teach David a lesson. And the lesson was that God is mighty enough, that God is strong enough, that God is knowledgeable enough, that God could protect David and preserve his life without David having to lie. Did you follow that? That God, in all of his knowledge, in all of his providence, in all of his sovereignty, that God has the ability to protect David's life and to get David where David needed to go without David having to scheme and connive and use his wits to survive. Without David um, having to do any of those things, God could get him where he needed to go. Um, our world says if you have to lie and you have to cheat and you have to bend the corners and you have to uh, steal to get ahead, then do it. Our world says that if you have to cover your tracks to preserve your position, then do it. Our world says that when the law of self-preservation kicks in, anything goes. But in God's worldview, the highest value is not personal survival. The highest value is personal integrity. And that we can count on God to reward personal integrity with personal survival. Do you believe that? That's what the Bible teaches. Friends, if we will be people of integrity, God will take care of everything that needs to happen. He will get us where we need to go in our career. He'll get us where we need to go in our relationships. He will get us everything that we need done if we are people of integrity, that we do not need to violate our integrity in order to arrive at the place where we think it is that we need to go. And friends, this is one of the wonderful things about having a relationship with Jesus Christ, that we don't need to lie to get where we need to go, that we don't need to lie to protect ourselves, that we don't need to lie to advance our career. And no matter how disadvantageous it may look, that we do tell the truth and represent ourselves correctly, that even, in, even though we tell the truth, that God is mighty enough to work things out in our favor. 
And that's what the lesson that God was trying to teach David, and it's a lesson he's trying to teach us. You say, Gordon, did God ever prove this? Has he ever done this for people? Yeah, absolutely. Think about Daniel and the lion's den. Remember the story of Daniel and the lion's den? Uh, Daniel was going to pray to his God, and he supposedly there's new rule went out. He's not allowed to pray to anybody but the gods of, of, of the Babylonians, uh, the Persians. And so... Um, Daniel said, well, I mean, that may be the rule, but this is, this is what I do. I'm going to pray to my God. And so that's what he did. And David got on his knees. And next thing you know, he's thrown into the lion's den. And God rewarded Daniel, took care of Daniel, helped him with his own personal survival in the midst of Daniel having personal integrity. How about Moses? When Moses had to go out and meet Yul Brynner, right? Stand before Pharaoh and not back down. Did God take care of Moses? Absolutely, he did. How about Elijah up there on Mount Carmel? He was up against 850 bad guys, 850 prophets of Baal. Elijah comes up against, and he stood against them, and he had Jezebel who was breathing down his neck and trying to, trying to take him out. And in all of that, did God preserve Elijah and take care of Elijah? Absolutely, he did. Think about the three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The law was put out. When we ring this bell, you've got to get down on your knees, and everybody's got to worship the gods of Baal. They've got to pray to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians. And if you don't do that, then we're going to toss you in this fiery furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood their ground, didn't do what everybody else did. Everybody else got down on their knees, and there's those three guys standing up head and shoulders, everybody can see them, and they're dragged off, and they tell the king, hey, look, even if, even if we end up being consumed in this fire, we know that our God will take care of us. And sure enough, that's what God did. Friends, the same God that took care of Daniel, the same God that took care of Moses, the same God that took care of Elijah and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego is the same God that you have. And he hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Friends, God doesn't want you compromising your integrity because you feel like that's the only way for you to get where you need to get. It may be that where you need to get is not where God thinks you need to get, so maybe you need to get so maybe where you need to get is not where you need to get after all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Y'all follow that, right? All right. And even if you need to get where it is that you think you need to get, God is powerful enough that he will get you there himself. And if God has to intervene supernaturally in our world to do it, God will do that. He's done it time and time again. He's proven himself. And he's proven that we can get there and that our personal survival will be intact and that we'll get where we need to go and that we can do it in a way that honors God. Let's bow our heads together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for speaking to us from your word today. We thank you for the challenge that you place before us to be a people of integrity, to be a people of honor in all things. Lord, it seems like our, the only people who get, a, who get ahead in our world sometimes are those who are bending the rules and shaving the corners and telling a different version of the truth. Lord, we just ask that you would remind us again today that you have a prescribed way that you want for us to live. And that those who honor you, as it says in the scriptures, you will honor. Lord, we take you at your word. We thank you for your promise. Lord, we ask that you would just speak to us this morning in our heart, Holy Spirit, that you'd point out places in our lives where it need to be corrected, that need to be tweaked, that need to be changed. God, we submit ourselves to you. In Christ's holy name we pray.